Hi everyone, welcome back to Logical Bible Study, the podcast which is all about doing a really solid Catholic exegesis of the text of Scripture. And we're looking at today's Gospel that you would hear if you went to Mass, and today's Gospel is Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. Jesus began to reproach the towns in which most of his miracles had been worked, because they refused to repent. Alas for you, Chorazin, alas for you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And still, I tell you that it will not go as hard on Judgment Day with Tyre and Sidon as with you. And as for you, Capernaum, did you want to be exalted as high as heaven? You shall be thrown down to hell. For if the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been standing yet. And still I tell you that it will not go as hard with the land of Sodom on Judgment Day as with you. Okay, so today's passage is a little bit hard to interpret in some ways, and the main reason for that is because it's not clear to the extent at which Jesus is using hyperbole. To what extent is he exaggerating to make a point? And we know that Jesus does do that. For example, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Well, that's physically impossible. So that has to be an exaggeration. So is Jesus using exaggeration here? That's one of the big interpretive questions. And if you look at the scholarly literature on this particular passage, that's what you'll find. Scholars are divided about how literal Jesus is being. So let's start at the start here. Verse 20. Jesus began to reproach the towns in which most of his miracles had been worked. A better translation of miracles there is mighty works. So now this fact is key to interpreting the rest of the passage. Why is he so harsh on those towns for the rest of the passage? It's because of what is said here in verse 20. These are the towns in which most of his miracles had happened. We're talking here about towns in Galilee, the ones where Jesus has been spending most of his time up until this point. In each of these towns, he's done some really concrete, clear, obvious miracles. Some of the miracles are recorded for us in scripture. Some of them are not. It says, he began to reproach these towns because they refused to repent. So this is the clear part. One of the effects of these clear, obvious miracles that Jesus was doing, it should have been for the people of the town that saw the miracle to repent and turn to God. That's one of the goals whenever Jesus does a miracle. But on the whole, these these towns have chosen not to, even though they should have known better because they're Jewish towns. They've seen the miracles and have, on the whole, not repented. We should keep this in mind as well. When we see miraculous works of God, and perhaps some of you in the audience have seen miracles of this kind, and certainly we would know people that have seen miracles, one of the effects of it is it should lead us to repentance. It's not just to lead us to worship or even to appreciate the awesome power of God, although that's certainly part of it. One of the effects of miracles should be to lead us to repentance. If not, then we haven't really understood what has happened. Now, we're about to hear exactly what Jesus said to the towns when he upbraided them or reproached them for their lack of repentance. And this is what he says. Verse 21, alas for you, or a different translation there would be woe to you. 
And that's an ancient Jewish way of saying trouble is coming to you, basically. It's a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament. So Jesus is now deliberately starting to use language of the prophets. He's uh, sounding a lot like an Old Testament prophet here, which makes sense because Jesus himself is a prophet. In the Old Testament, the prophets would say things like, woe to you, whenever they're talking to a town or a city that's about to receive God's judgment on sinners, sinners who refuse to change their ways. You see that particularly in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 to 25. Isaiah gives a series of woe to you. And then there's some other places in the minor prophets, Micah chapter 2 and Habakkuk chapter 2 also use this language of woe to you. So the two towns he identifies first, he, he does three actually, but at the start he identifies two. Alas for you, Therese, and alas for you, Bethsaida. So these are towns just north of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus spent a lot of time in these towns. They're very close to his hometown of Capernaum. So he's been walking through Therese and Bethsaida doing miracles and preaching, and he says to them, for if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. So to understand this next bit, we need to talk a bit about Tyre and Sidon. So these are Gentile towns just north of Galilee in the Phoenician region. So if you look at a map of Israel at the time, Jesus has been moving around in Galilee, which is sort of a northern region. And just above that, in the very north, is a Gentile area of Phoenicia, and two cities in there are Tyre and Sidon. Jesus actually does go there at one point, apparently. They're only a couple of days away by foot from Galilee. The Jews at the time, so those in Galilee, did not like Tyre and Sidon, and in fact, they would probably avoid going there because they're Gentile areas, and the Jews believed the Gentiles were corrupt and far from God. Now, in particular, Tyre and Sidon were singled out in the Old Testament as being particularly wicked towns. You see that in Isaiah chapter 23 and then Jeremiah chapter 25. There's a few other places as well. So Tyre and Sidon, if by Jesus invoking those towns, it would have immediately conjured up images of wicked cities. But Jesus says, if the miracles done in you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, sackcloth and ashes, if you know your Old Testament, that's just a, a Jewish way of saying repenting. And that's what they did when they were showing public sorrow or public repentance. They would wear sackcloth, which is quite uncomfortable and quite difficult to wear, actually. Um, but it's sort of suffering they willingly take on themselves and ashes as well to signify uh, their mourning. So Jesus here says that even though these towns, Tyre and Sidon, generally do not follow God, Jesus says they would have repented if they had seen the miracles that he'd been doing in Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida. Jesus says that even these Gentile towns, as wicked as they are, they're doing far better than Chorazin and Bethsaida. They would have responded better to the miracles. That would be shocking for his audience to hear. For Jesus to say these Jewish towns are closer to God and God's will than you are, that's shocking. Try and put yourself in the shoes of the first century hearers here. Now, at this point, it's worth pointing out that we shouldn't take this to mean that literally everyone in all of those towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida, rejected Jesus. Obviously, there's exceptions, and we see that in the Gospels themselves. There's people in each of those towns that respond well to Jesus. But on the whole, the townspeople in these localities 
refused to commit themselves to the new way of life that was demanded by the gospel. Now, it's quite possible that Jesus is using hyperbole here, hyperbole meaning exaggeration to make a point. We need to keep this in mind because often this verse and others around it come up in discussions about God's foreknowledge and, you know, discussions about predestination, those really complex theological issues. And often this particular verse, uh, for if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. This verse is often brought up in connection with Molinism, which is a view about God's sovereignty, which basically says uh, God has middle knowledge. God knows what people would do if given certain sets of circumstances, even if those circumstances never actually happen. So it's kind of theologically complex. But this verse is often used to show that God does have middle knowledge, as in, God knows what people would do if placed in certain circumstances, because that's apparently what Jesus says here. If I had have done these miracles in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented. So it seems to be an example of middle middle knowledge. But not if Jesus is using hyperbole. We might be pressing the language too much. Jesus may, well, he may be affirming middle knowledge here. He might be saying, if I'd done these miracles, then definitely Tyre and Sidon would have repented. But we're not required to think that Jesus is affirming that. He might be exaggerating, and he often does this in his teaching. It might just be a Jewish way of emphasizing the point about how wicked the Galilean towns are. So he's using an extreme example for shock value. He's trying to shock these Jewish towns into realizing how bad they are. Maybe he's not literally saying, Tyre and Sidon are better than you. And that doesn't impact on our views about inerrancy because Jesus did uh, use common Jewish ways of speaking at the time. So just keep this in mind. Scholars are divided. Possibly Jesus is exaggerating here. He's not actually saying what would happen in certain circumstances. Now, verse 22 we're up to. And I tell you, still it will not go as hard on Judgment Day with Tyre and Sidon as with you. So he's intensifying it further now. He's now referring to Judgment Day. So the image here is the final judgment on Judgment Day. It's like a courtroom scene, perhaps. At the end of time, in this image, all people will be judged for how they ought to have responded to God. And that's Catholic teaching as well. Jesus here is conjuring up this image of the final Judgment Day. And he says that the towns of Tyre and Sidon will receive a lesser punishment than Chorazin and Bethsaida because Tyre and Sidon were much more open to God. Again, Jesus is probably exaggerating or possibly exaggerating here. Jesus may not be affirming that every town as a township is going to be judged on Judgment Day. We probably are not committed to believing that. Jesus is probably just using this image of towns being judged in order to make a general point about judgment on Judgment Day. Verse 23, he now talks about another town, Capernaum. As for you, Capernaum, so Capernaum is the town that Jesus actually lived in. That's his hometown for most of his ministry. That's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee, and he spent a lot of time there. You can actually go to Capernaum today and see the house that it appears that Jesus lived in. They've done some excavations of that area. He says, as for you, Capernaum, did you want to be exalted as high as heaven or Another translation there is, will you be exalted to heaven? Now, to make sense of this 
complete quote here that Jesus uses. It's a bit strange. We need to keep in mind that he's quoting from the Old Testament. So his, the entire phrase here is, As for you, Capernaum, did you want to be exalted as high as heaven? You shall be thrown down to hell. So a few comments. Firstly, when he says, will you be exalted to heaven? The basic idea here is, Capernaum, do you think God will honor you? So he says that first, and then he says, you shall be thrown down to hell. Now, the Greek word here is actually Hades. So Jesus here is not referring to the place of final punishment, of what we actually think of as hell. So the word Jesus uses for that is Gehenna, but he doesn't use that here. He uses Hades. So the lectionary translation here of hell is a bit misleading. So he's talking in this case about the general dwelling place of the dead in the Old Covenant. The view was that all dead people go to this place called Hades. Now, Jesus is quoting here again from Isaiah. He's already quoted from Isaiah twice. He does it a third time. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 to 15. And it's almost a direct quote here. Did you want to be exalted as high as heaven? You should be thrown down to hell. Now, in Isaiah 14, it's not about Capernaum. It's about Babylon, in particular, the king of Babylon. And in the Old Testament... Babylon was one of the most wicked cities. So this verse here in context in Isaiah 14, when God says to Babylon, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be thrown down to hell. It's this idea of Babylon being prideful and thinking that it's approved by God, but then it's actually humbled by God. So notice how that maps on very well to Capernaum at this time. Capernaum thinks apparently that it's approved by God, but in fact, they're going to be humbled by God. So the overall meaning here of this phrase that Jesus delivers to Capernaum is, Capernaum, do you think God will be honored with your works and give you glory in the afterlife? Rather, you will not be glorified at all. Jesus, again, probably using hyperbole, he's probably not trying to teach us the specifics of how the afterlife works in general. He's trying to shock Capernaum. He's trying to show or teach Capernaum that, in a sense, they are quite similar to Babylon. And they're being a bit prideful because God does not actually approve of them because they're rejecting the miracles that he's done in them. And he finishes again to Capernaum by saying, For if the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have been standing yet. And still I tell you that it will not go as hard with the land of Sodom on judgment day as with you. So Jesus uses the image of Sodom again. He's actually already used that in his gospel. Sodom was a town destroyed by God, completely destroyed in the Old Testament because it was so wicked. You see that in Genesis 19. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, God rains fire from heaven on those towns because they're so wicked. Well, Jesus says, he uses the most extreme example here. He says that if Sodom had seen the miracles that Jesus is performing, even they would have repented. Think about how shocking that would have been for his hearers. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, Capernaum will receive an even greater judgment on judgment day than Sodom had. And remember, Sodom was punished by God by having fire literally rain down from heaven on them. Jesus says, well, Capernaum, you're going to get even worse than that on judgment day. So the overall point of these verses, verses 20 to 24, Jesus is reproaching or basically telling off the towns of Galilee for their unbelief. These towns were populated by Jews who should have been prepared for the Messiah. But yet the Messiah came, he lived in their towns and he spent time amongst them, 
and they're still not willing to repent. So that's why Jesus is uh, pronouncing these woes on them. And in particular, he's trying to get the residents of those towns to think about their eternal punishment. Because if they keep going the way that they do, these individual people who've rejected Jesus in these towns, who should have known better, they will receive a harsh judgment on Judgment Day. There's an important lesson for us here as well, if we're trying to apply to our age, although it doesn't map on exactly, I think we can say this. These passages teach us that religious background, what we're raised with, or even our knowledge of the Bible does not guarantee that God is pleased with us. In order to please God, we must repent. That's the teaching of this verse, and I think that's quite legitimate. Now, the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture for the book of Matthew, and that's this is one of the references I use a lot to help me prepare these podcasts, it has a really nice quote at the end of its section here, and it tries to uh, bring home the point to us today. So if we were going to apply these verses to Catholics today, here's what the Catholic commentary says. So it's a bit of a longer quote. Some of us read passages like these and are not greatly affected by them. The situation seems remote, the language of prophetic judgment is foreign, and there seems to be little that fits our contemporary Christian experience. Unfortunately, this is a serious miscalculation on our part. These verses are directly relevant to the lives of God's people today. The lesson to be learned is simple. With great privilege comes great responsibility. The Galilean cities denounced by Jesus were blasted with unusually harsh words because they were among the precious few to see and hear and touch the Messiah in person. They had incentives to believe in Jesus that most will never have. As a result, the culpability of these towns for impenitence could hardly be greater. What about us? Jesus has entrusted the church with the fullness of Christian truth and grace. Christians of all confessions hold that salvation in Christ is ours for the taking, and that the Bible is the living word of God. Have we responded to these privileges with faith and zeal proportionate to their greatness? If we are honest with ourselves, we will surely find areas of our lives that are not fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Yet, if Christ is truly present among us, in his word, in his Eucharist, and in his church, then we are in a situation much like that of ancient Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, as they witnessed his ministry. Here is a case where applying scripture to our lives means learning from the mistakes of others. Will we, unlike the towns of Galilee, take advantage of the time that is ours to repent of our sinful ways and to pursue holiness? Or will we procrastinate until the window of opportunity closes for good? To us, much has been given, and so much will be required. That's the end of the quote there. I'm sure you agree that's a fantastic summary of what this verse means for us today, a really well-constructed um, section there from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. And certainly what, that last line, to, to, to whom much is given, much will be required. That's a line Jesus uses a lot in the Gospels. That is the basic meaning. If we're given a lot of information about God and a lot of God's grace, we're expected to use it. Let's finish today with one reference from the Catechism, paragraph 678. This is about Judgment Day. Following in the steps of the prophets and John the Baptist, Jesus announced the judgment of the last day in his preaching. Then will the conduct of each one and the secrets of hearts be brought to light. Then will the culpable unbelief that counted the offer of God's grace as nothing be condemned. 
Our attitude to our neighbour will disclose acceptance or refusal of grace and divine love. So lots for us to think about today. Thanks for listening. We'll continue in the Gospel of Matthew tomorrow.